The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to have you here, and I'm certainly looking forward to being able to partner with this ministry Shay was talking about, and looking forward to next week at our Christmas service. It'll be a a good time. You know, it's funny in our culture, uh, we say the image is everything. It is essential for us. Like, image is essential. As a matter of fact, we will spend money on stuff based on the images that are tied to the stuff. Like a case in point right now, you'll see, <laughs> you'll see um, a lot of exercise equipment and stuff for sale, right? But you never see any fat people on it, right? There's never anybody obese on the treadmill or on the elliptical or whatever it is. It's always a dude, you like, he's ripped, and you're like, I got to get one of those, right? If they showed somebody who looked like, like me, you're probably not buying it. Okay, and so like the, 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 we, we look at things like that. You look at a new car or something, and they're advertising a new car. It's always this beautiful person with this perfect home and this picturesque scene. Every Christmas they do this. It's like, man, they just paint this image like, this is the perfect life. Like, I got to go get me a Mercedes, right? And so like, all of these things, it doesn't matter what it is, they always tie this beautiful person to it that, with the clothing and just all, like, it, and, and what we don't understand is, is that those images are sort of tricking us subconsciously. We just start to think good things about a brand because of who's there with that brand. That's why an athlete is paid so much to sell things, just to be on a commercial, doesn't matter how good the thing is, is we just love that athlete, we just think, that's what I have to have. Like, Michael Jordan literally built, and blew, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, blew Nike up. Like, it happened in my lifetime. I watched it happen, and I spent hundreds of dollars on tennis shoes because I thought I could dunk like Michael Jordan. It did not work, Okay. Uh, but so, so we see this image, man, and, 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 and subconsciously we want to look right, and so we will pay to do so. And we're, we're all susceptible to this temptation because literally image is everything. Like, like that is a truth statement. A lot of times we've been told that the image is not everything, and so we teach our kids, you know, image is not everything. And what the world says, like, image is not everything. I would say to you from a biblical standpoint, image is everything. And so we have to really understand what is going on. Why is it such a powerful tool to be able to take that image and, and create that moment and tie it to a brand and all of a sudden influence society? Well, we are created in the image of God. So the, as, as image bearers of God, they call it the, uh, the, the Imago Dei, that we bear the image of God himself. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we find it in the very beginning of the creation story. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
And so human beings are created in the image of God himself to have rule over everything else that God has created. We are God-like creatures. We look at all of the rest of creation, and we do not see God-like creatures. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom, which is so weird for me. Like, we, we, you know, we, we watch the news and things, and, and it's almost as if we're trying to treat animals as an equal plane with us. They are not equal. Like, they are, they, they, they we, we are to subdue them and rule over them. They are not created in the image of God. They bear the glory of God, but not the image of God. And that's why we're so unique as a species, human beings, is we bear the image of God himself, and we're able to reason and, and communicate, and we have all of these different things going on. I know we really feel like um, our dogs and stuff can talk to us, you know, I, I get that. I, I know we have, the, we have the, the smartest dogs. Like, I guarantee you, your dog is not smarter than my dog. Like, see, those are fighting words, aren't they? Um, let me just, real quick, this is a funny story. It doesn't have anything to do with this other than it's here, and I want to tell it. So I have these two dogs, and I keep them in, they stay outside most of the time. They're English shepherds, very intelligent dogs. Um, and... They shed a lot, and so I keep them outside during the day, and, and then I let them in at night because if there's a rabbit or something, they will get after that rabbit, and I don't want them disrupting the neighborhood. And so I kennel them at night in the basement. And so I have these two cages, and they're right next to each other, and these dogs are brothers and, they're brother and sister. They came out of the same litter. And, uh, and so Butch is the male, and Belle is the female, and I put them in here, and Butch, all of a sudden, there for a while, I wasn't putting him up, and he started sleeping on one of our couches down in the basement. Our basement's unfinished, and anyway, I wanted to, like, I cleaned all that up, and I didn't want him doing that anymore. I think he really got to like, liking that couch. So I, I put him in this kennel, and um, he starts getting out. He starts opening the thing up, and it's got, like, two locks on it. I'm like, how is he doing that? And so I got me some wire. This, how, this all started about six weeks ago, and I just wired that thing up really good, and he tore the wire off and opened the latches and got out, and I would come downstairs, like, in the morning, and I would look, and he'd be standing in front of his cage going like this, and I was like, you, so it became a war, and so I got me a double snap dog leash where I could, like, lock one to the handle and lock the other to the other side of the cage, so he couldn't move it. And so I beat him, like, for a good solid week. So I came down the next day, and he was still in the cage, and I went up to the cage, and I went. <laughs> and so then, so I, like, I've got him beat, you know. And, and so this goes on for a, a week or two. And this, it was, uh, this past week, we hear noise downstairs. And I'm like, he's, he's trying to get out. He wakes us up. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, I think, I'm going to go down there and say, look, dude, I've already won. You're not getting out of the cage. So I, got, I go down there, I open the door, and he's, his cage is moved perpendicular to the ba basement door. He is out of it. He is standing at Bella's cage trying to open it. And so I was like, geez, the wheeze. And so what I've done now, all, I say all that just to say animals are smart, but your dog is not smarter than mine. And the third thing is they're not like humans, okay? We're on a different plane. 
Whereas this one, he's proving to be victorious. But we'll move on um, for the sake of the sermon. It, is that, so we're created in the image of God. And so we bear the image of God. And as we walk through life, the problem is that mankind is fallen and therefore dead to God in our sins. And so as we're created in the image of God, when God created us in that perfect place before sin happened, like we're bearing the image of God. We're in fellowship with God. And then all of a sudden, because Adam does something with his will that God said not to do because it's not good for you, he didn't trust God, then it plunged all of the human race into a sinful state and caused separation as they were moved out of paradise. And now there was, uh, there was an obstacle in between uh, or, uh, human beings and God. And God comes looking for them. And what's the human doing? He's hiding. And so we see that there's a problem in, in his image already as he's trying to hide things from God. One of the first things we did, the clothing industry started right there. He, they made suits of fig leaves to cover themselves up. And so they were trying to begin to manufacture an image before God. And so, so as they, they, they go through this process, we, we, we perform and we dress up our image because it is tied to our identity. This is why, this is why we will spend enormous amounts of money on clothing. It's because it's tied to our image. And if, if things get messed up in our identity and we begin to run the wrong direction, everything is screwed up in our lives. And you'll see it happening all, all around us. And, and, and we shouldn't be surprised by this because the devil actually uses this against us. If we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, very powerful verse of Scripture. It says, the God of this age... That's Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so there's a force that is at work um, against us to try to get us to see that Christ is the full image of God. He is God in the flesh. And so the enemy is working against the unbeliever. And I think even the believer, he's working against him in his flesh, trying to get him caught up in developing his self-image in ways that will never work. And so the only way to address this human flaw is through Jesus. That's exactly what this verse says, is that he's blinding the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. And the light is illuminating, the, the light of the good news of, of, of the message of the cross of Christ, that he, is, he has come to die for human beings and, and to set them free from their sin and restore them into a right relationship with God the Father. And so he's working against us, and the only way to address that flaw that, he, he's, that we have in, in, our, in our image is through Jesus. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into what? His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Image is everything. 
And the reason marketing is so powerful is because our image is screwed up. And, and, and so we will begin to try to use other things to correct what's screwed up about us to make us feel better because we, there's things in us that we just know it doesn't feel right. It's not right how this is working. And so we can be led astray to kind of be deceived and use uh, things that are really false to try to restore the image that only Jesus can restore in our lives. That's the only thing that can fix, fix it. And so we, 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 um, the Lord uses Paul in Ephesians as we jump back into this, this letter to say, dear church, like let me help you with your image. Let me help you with this stuff. And we, we start to unpack all this theology and we start to see things. That, that The first thing that Paul does is he's just teaching us about our identity, who we are in Christ and what we possess. So we learned last week that we are born rich. We, when we're born into the kingdom of God, every man, every woman, every boy and girl that is going to know the Lord, and now, you know we come in as sinful creatures that are separated from God, so we have to have that restored. And the only way that can happen is to be born again and be placed in Christ. And so when we are born again, we receive the wealth of the Father, the wealth of the Son, and the wealth of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we looked at um, in, in the section of chapter one of Ephesians last week, is we have all of this spiritual wealth. And, and what we have to understand is there is a, uh, we are in a war and there is a force that is working against us to try to steal our wealth. Like you see it everywhere in the New Testament. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not, but for what? To steal, to kill, to destroy. What? The wealth of the Father, the wealth of the Son, and the wealth of the Holy Spirit in your life. The image of God in you. Christ being formed in you. He's after that. But what did Jesus say? I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do you have the abundant life? You figure out that image is everything. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and, and, and when, once you figure this out, it will shift the way that you can be manipulated in society. Now, we're not saying there's anything wrong with having nice things and you have to weir- live this weird life off the grid. We're not saying this. What we're saying is those things will own you if you don't understand your image. They will own you. They will cause you to go into debt. They will cause you to think that you got to have a certain kind of home just so that everybody looks at you the right way. They will cause you to think you got to drive a certain kind of car. You have to have a certain kind of pedigree on your resume that you look a certain way, and that's what defines you. Image is everything, but none of that matters when it comes to the kingdom. The only way to bear the image of God the way you were designed to is through Jesus. Now, you look at all of these other things in your life. Just take your activity last week and see how you were manipulated and how much of your activity was spent on the things that were important to Jesus and the things that the world says is important. You begin to scratch your head and go, wait a minute here. What am I doing with my life? And that's what Paul's trying to get us to see. He's like, dear church, man, you have all of this wealth, and you have to understand that you're, you're in a war. Um, there, there's a story um, historically of, of William Randolph Hearst, who's a guy who made just tons of money in the publishing industry. And when he added all this wealth, he decided to take up collecting um, treasures around the world. And so he would just, he would read about things and he would be like, man, that, that sounds cool. I want that. And he would collect them and, and keep them in warehouses. 
And so one day he read about a, a list of items that he wanted to own. He says, like, I have to have that. And so he had one of his agents, he sent them on a mission to find that treasure. And they went on a journey and started doing research and investigating, and they're out traveling the world, and they finally located the treasure. And they came back to Mr. Hurst and said, it's in your warehouse. <laughs> he already had it. He didn't even know he had it. And that's the idea that Paul is trying to convey to us. All of this wealth is not something we try to get. It is already ours, and we don't need to be out there looking for it. It is ours. We need to learn how to enjoy it. It is there. It is ours for the taking, and he's, he's saying to us, man, that our image is tied into that, and, and that's what the Lord is telling us in verses 15 through 23, and, and so the first takeaway that I, I have for you today is, dear church, the more you know him, the more you are like him. Now, that is important, and it's so important because the more you know him, the more your image is going to be transformed to the image of Christ, and the more satisfied you're going to be deep down in your soul. Like, you're just going to be a satisfied human. And, and, and as you travel through life, you're not going to live in this place of discontentment that so much of the world lives in. And trying to seek and grab all these experiences and all the, how we perform and all this other stuff, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well we perform and how much we obtain if we can't enjoy ourselves right where we're at right now. That's why Paul says, I have learned to be content in all things, whether I am in want or I have plenty. I'm content. Why? Because his image was right. It was being defined by God, and he understood that his image was wrapped up in Jesus, and the more that he understood about Jesus, the more that he knew about Jesus, the more um, that um, um, he became like him. And the more that we become like him, if, again, just backing up, what did we, what did we uh, see about him in verse 18 of chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, Paul understood this because, remember, he's riding on a donkey to destroy the image of Christ. And he thought he was doing the work of God an incredibly religious person, devout, spending all the energy that he could to do a mission that he thought was right. And he comes to a place as he's riding along that Jesus encounters him, bam, knocks him off of his donkey, and lying there, he begins to say, what are you doing, man? And Paul immediately recognizes it in the presence of divinity, and he says, who, out, who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And right there, man, Paul's identity came out of his performance with the Sanhedrin and was placed in Jesus Christ. And from that point forward, man, he just starts to grow. And we're still talking about him as his image was corrected. The guy is one of the most celebrated people in the church because he's given us such incredible theology. And even in this passage of Scripture, they, they, would, they would say, the, the writers say they believe, or, or, or theologians would agree that they kind of believe that as he's writing this and he's, he's in a state of ecstasy where God just opens up his mind while he's locked up in prison and lets him see the plan of God. And in Ephesians, man, it's just this unbelievable truth that just will change you as a human being. And so the, uh, we look at verse 15, and he says, as we come into this takeaway, the more you know him, the more you're like him. This is what Paul says. For this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul's saying like, You already have the wealth of the Father. You already have the wealth of the Son. You already have the wealth of the Spirit. And I'm praying over you that you will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The the Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation, according to this verse, to be more like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus and bearing the image of God in a restored, righteous way, the more fulfilled we are as human beings and the more glory God can pour out on our lives so the more that he can use us. And so so wisdom, when we look at it, is discerning the truth of God. Wisdom is the supernatural ability of the spirit that he places in us that we can recognize truth. Unfortunately, the church is not that great at that today. Paul says, I pray that you may have the spirit of wisdom so that you have the ability to recognize the truth of God. Not only does he ask for us to have wisdom, but revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is um, vision. And so when you tie these two phrases together of wisdom and revelation and Paul praying over the church and he would say, dear church, I pray that the spirit would give you wisdom and revelation so that you can see the truth of God. You can recognize that you even have a vision for that in your life. Like, you're, like we ought to have a vision in our lives is what Paul is saying, that we would recognize the truth of God. We are so open to it, we don't even care what it, what it says. We, we just are ready to own it when the Spirit shows, us, show it, shows it to us. But a lot of times we won't do that. A lot of times we're afraid of the truth because we're afraid of what it might ask us to give up. And that is unwise. And that is not revelation. So we look at it and we go, okay, what, what, what Paul is saying here is when we recognize the Spirit re- revealing truth in our lives, if we're really going to be the people of God who are living on the wealth of the Father, the wealth of the Son, and the wealth of the Spirit, when we see that truth, we will wholeheartedly embrace it. Why? Because it's about our image. What is our image? Christ being formed in us. Yet, if the devil, like, He's used the whole false image and running this thing backwards. Everything the devil, listen, sin is always a perversion of something good. Sin cannot exist without something good. And so sin is always a perversion of something good. And so the devil will always try to get us to pervert the truth of God and run it the wrong way in order to receive the recognition that we think we're missing and we don't realize that we're confused and he's blinded our minds and we're going about this the the wrong way. And so the only way to improve our image is to trust the Lord and see the truth and own it when it is there. But again, like we're afraid of the truth. Why are we afraid of the truth? Because we've been deceived. We've been deceived that the truth will cost us. But what did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what in your life? Set you what? It set us free. 
And so all our freedom is tied to the truth. And so Paul is saying, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could recognize the truth and have a vision for wanting the truth in your life. And when you see the truth, you just embrace it because when you embrace it, it will set you free. Free to what? Free to live the life that Jesus died for you to live and not be robbed from the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but live a life of abundance that is right before our eyes. Then our image begins to be corrected. And it doesn't matter where we work, what we drive, what we own, how we look, because our image is fixed by the image maker, not the faker. And this is like, like, you, like I look in the kingdom and I'm going, what are people doing? Like I don't, I don't see enough of people living this out and having the freedom in their lives where they're just walking around with what? Paul says that you should be filled with the Spirit of God. So we're indwelt, and this is a different word he uses when he talks about filled. We are indwelt with the Spirit of God when we meet him and we come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, but we are to be filled with that Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that we're walking in such closeness with Christ that we know him better, we become like him, and the spirit of God just flows out of us. And people know. Like when we encounter strangers, they know something's different. Something's different about this guy. Something's different about this woman. Something's different about this dude right here. This, this girl, the way she lives in school is different than the rest of the girls. What is it? It is the spirit of God coming out of us. And we need more of that. Like, that's what the world needs. It needs that more than it needs anything else. And we'll see as, as Paul takes us on this journey that when we learn to come, um, uh, when we come, come to a realization of the deception is out, that is out there and how wicked it is and how it will attack us, remember, he's writing this to the church. He's writing this to the believer. He's helping the believer to see these things in his life. What do we know that the role of the Holy Spirit is? John chapter 16, verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The world doesn't want to be wrong about anything. Like, it wants to make its own way. It has usurped the authority of God. Just watch the news. There's no place for truth in the news. There's only place for tolerance. And it is a deception that has screwed up the image of this great country that we live in. And that's what we see being played out in front of us all the time, is that we see that because of our identity, we must realize that the role of the Spirit is to come, and His role is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so what we're learning here is that, that um, the Spirit will reveal truth and help us respond with image which bears the, or, or with wisdom which bears the image of God. And so we, we look and we go, man, the Lord will do this. <laughs> like, he will do this in your life. This is not a thing where you got to go, oh, man, what do I got to do to get there? You're, you're doing like the dude who was trying to collect stuff he already had. All you got to do to get there is believe that he will do it. You got to believe that the Lord this week will convict you of any sin in your life. He will, he will show you of righteousness and judgment and how to make judgments in your life so that you can greater bear the image of Christ in your life because the more you know him, the more you will be like him. And the more you are like him, you are transformed into the image of Christ who is the glory of God, that God dumps out his glory on you and we become uh, as, as a mirror that is reflecting the glory of God back to him. And so therefore he can keep pouring 
pouring the glory out on us because we are being responsible with it and obeying him and the glory is coming out of us because we are doing what we're designed to do, which is exactly what he created us to do in Genesis when he made Adam and Eve before they took their will and ran their own direction with it. That's what all of life is about. Your whole life is measured by what I just said right there. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the obedience of God? What he's calling you to do and how you are faithful to that very thing he has invited you into, which is a relationship to him. We are to be like Jesus, a representation of grace and truth to the world. That's what John chapter one, as the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It is the word exegesis. Uh, as you study that whole chapter of one, there's a, a, a phrase there called exegesato and it means an explanation of something. We get our word in theology. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you study theology, it's called exegesis when you do the background work and you dig out the meaning of a particular um, a, a passage of scripture. You're giving an exegesis, an explanation of it. That's kind of what I'm doing in this sermon, telling us what Paul is saying to us. And so Jesus is an exegesis of God. He explains God. What's that mean for you and I? We are to explain Jesus. Like You can look at Jesus and see God, and so we ought to be able to look at you and see Jesus, not something else. Like it ought, it ought not be hidden. It ought to be very plain and apparent that this person is different. Okay, they live their lives differently. The way they make decisions is differently. They're owned by Jesus. And the more we know Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And that's what Paul is, he's trying to get us to see. And so then he continues his prayer as he gets us to this point of, uh, of, of we begin to understand that the more we know him, the more we like, or we are like him. And he says, I pray that you have wisdom and revelation. He continues his prayer and he says um, that he knows that if we get this, that, that our hearts will be enlightened. Do you remember when Jesus said, they have eyes to see, but see nothing. They have ears to hear, but hear nothing. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. What is he talking about? Um, the same thing Paul is talking about. It says, when we walk by faith, not by sight. What's going on there? It means that there is a spiritual side of us that must come in tune with who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is, and we start living our lives through that spiritual uh, sight. And so the second takeaway is, dear church, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. May they be enlightened. So look at verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's why he's praying for our eyes of our heart to be enlightened. So the more we know him, the more our spiritual eyes come on so that we can recognize three things. The hope to which he has called us. There is a calling on our lives that is tied to the hope of the resurrection of Christ and we are to live that out in a journey and as our eyes are enlightened because our, our, our hearts have come to this place that we are using the, are allowing the, the Holy Spirit to do his work to convict the world of righteousness, sin and judgment. It gives us a spirit of revelation and vision and turns the lights on for us and as we respond to that and own that truth then all of a sudden our hearts are enlightened and we can see more. What do you want out of life? More. <laughs> you ask the rich man, I think it was Ted Turner, how much money is enough? I think he said something like more. Just more. He said, what do I want out of life? More. More Jesus. You see, Paul said in the Thessalonians, more and more, more and more. 
more and more. Why? Because the more and more I have of Jesus, the more and more meaningful my life becomes. Until that great day when I slip off and my hope of my calling is recognized and I meet him face to face. I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus. Like that's the hope of my calling. And so as I live my life out and try to walk in obedience and I find myself right here in this place teaching to you in this moment, it is all tied to who I am in Christ as an image bearer of the God of the universe. And so I not only have the hope of my calling, I have the riches of the inheritance. It's all mine. It is all mine. Like, I'm not trying to get it. It's there to be spent. And I want to learn how to spend more and more of it. It is the wealth of the Father, the wealth of the Son, and the wealth of the Spirit. And and Paul says to us, come on, church, it is yours. Spend it this week. Don't be deceived by the enemy into living a lie and trying to create your image by things that will only leave you disappointed when you get there. When there's more and more available in Christ, the inheritance of Christ. And not only that, we see that the hope and the inheritance is the victory we experience in redemption. No matter how bad things get or appear, we are being made right. And so in one sense, we look at the world and it feels like it's, it's drifting away. But in another sense, we can see that when we get this right, it is getting better and better. And I am to be proof of it. Like Jesus is getting better and better in me. And Jesus ought to be getting better and better in you. And you ought to be growing until you take your last breath on this side of eternity and your first breath on that side of eternity and you are made complete in Christ when you get there. Because like spiritually, you're already there. And we'll see like all of, like here as we explore more of the book of Ephesians, where we're headed is all of our spiritual blessings are with Christ in the heavenly places. And so he's just teaching us how to access them. And then he says um, that we have this incomparably great power. Like he says, for, so he gives us the hope of our calling, the riches of the inheritance, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. If we believe in Jesus, there's incomparably great power. I've been walking with people in discipleship and, and releasing them, and, and they've started, several people have started discipling others, and, and many of them, as they started, I can remember the days, they were like, I don't think I can do this. You, if you believe in Jesus, you have incomparably great power to do the very thing that he asked you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the enemy himself who will tell you you can't do it, but Jesus the King says you can. And so we, like when, when they start to see it and they start to do it, guess what happens in their life? More and more, more and more. Like more fulfillment. Because we're doing what we're designed to do and that's what life was set up to be like in the beginning when God created us. Why does God give us the power? Well, let's, look, let's continue the passage in verse 19. That power, what is, <laughs> this is crazy, man. What I'm about to read to you is crazy what the Lord is giving to us. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. (laughs) The same thing that brought a dead man 
who had been beaten to a pulp with a spear thrust into his side and hung on the cross of Calvary and dead three days. That power, the Lord is telling us, is for all who believe. Like it's ours. Now, why does God do this? He does it for the church. What is the church? It is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here's the big idea. Dear church, image is everything. Image is everything. And if yours gets screwed up, you'll do nothing. But if you get it, if you get it right and you understand this, then it will change your life. What are you supposed to do with this truth? You sp- you're supposed to realize that you are Jesus to the world. You are his body. That's why you have his authority. And so if we get this, it will accomplish two things. One, incredible self-esteem, and two, it'll revolutionize the way we live our lives. And so what are we to do? We're to start each day by looking at our hands and saying, because of Christ, I can and I will. (laughs) Whatever the Lord asks you to do, the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead can be exerted into your life. Dear church, you are the body of Christ. Dear Jonah, you could turn your school upside down for Jesus. Dear Abe, You could do things for Jesus that nobody ever thought possible because of that great power that brought him back from the dead. Dear Brittany, you could do things for the Lord that you never thought possible. Dear Eileen, dear Quentin, dear Jason, dear Stephanie, dear Ernie, dear Dan, dear Mike, This is what he's saying to us. Dear church, this is what it's all about. Remember when Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have done? You see that happening in your life? Every time you do something to move somebody along in the kingdom, You're accomplishing the greatness of Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.